The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. You know, we think we understand the mission of God, but I wonder, and we know of phrases like the Great Commission, we know that we are called to make disciples, uh, and, uh, and I want to be careful what I say here, because the Great Commission is to make disciples, but, but here's the question, is God's mission in the world to make disciples? Yes or no? Nobody wants to say, right? I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> Actually, I don't think that's his ultimate mission in the world. All right? And here's the problem. A disciple, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower of Christ. And certainly God is all about raising up, and he calls us to raise up people who are followers of Christ. But here's the question. Where are we following him to? Right? If, we, if we're following somebody, it's implied they're going somewhere. Uh, if we're only about making disciples and we don't know where they're going we probably misunderstand God's mission. We misunderstand what God's mission is in the world. I believe God is up to much more than just making disciples. Now, discipleship is his method, and if you're not making disciples, you're also not understanding the mission. Uh, But the question is, is disciples the end or simply the means? Is a disciple the final product, or is a disciple a path to something much greater that we would call the mission of God. Well, as we look through uh, this passage in Luke 10, I think we'll see that uh, God's mission is much greater, much farther beyond simply making disciples. What God wants to do in the world is much bigger than oftentimes what we see or perceive in our understanding of our mission. So let's look at this as we uh, unpack uh, Luke 10, 1 through 16. Uh, let me read the first couple of verses again. He says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, uh, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field, into his harvest. Um, And uh, Jesus, in in Luke chapter 10, starts to paint a picture that his mission uh, is a global one. It's a a mission on a global scale. And uh, he hasn't yet said what the mission is, but he starts to define its scope, and it becomes apparent that what what Jesus is about is more than just a local ministry around Jerusalem. And he does that by appointing uh, 72 more messengers, 72 more... um, Servants who are going to go out and proclaim the message. Uh, first of all, it says that he appoints them. And the word appoints literally means to proclaim anyone as elected to an office. Right? So he's not just really appointing them, but he's actually announcing them <coughs> to the world. I want you guys to see <coughs> this group of people that I have set apart to do my mission in the world. Uh, this group is, is very much like the original twelve. Uh, but it's another group. So it's not the 12 plus a bunch that equaled 72. This is now 72 more in addition to the, the 12 that he commissioned in, in the beginning of chapter 9. Um, and not only does he appoint them just as he appointed the 12, 
But it also says that he, he sends them out, right? And the word that's used there is the exact same word he used of the 12. It's just the verb form instead of the noun. Uh, he called the first 12 apostles, right? Which means sent ones. Uh, the 72 he appoints and he apostles them, right? He sends them out as his agents in the world. An apostle is a very unique theological term used in the Gospels to represent somebody who's gone out as an agent or a representative of Christ. Okay, so he's not just sending them out like, you know, I want you to go get some bread for me. He's sending them out with authority and power, just like the 12. Right? Now, uh, we can go into a whole discussion about apostle. Um, the office of apostle held by the original 12 would be different than what these guys are doing. But in function and role in terms of their ministry, very much the same. Uh, and Jesus sends them out to do exactly identically the same thing as the 12. Um, and the number is also uh, significant, 72 of them, right? Uh, and Jesus says, that's not enough, right? I'm sending out, I raised up 72, so now we've got a total of 82, right? 12 plus 72, 82. Okay, how many? 84, that's right. I was just making sure people are listening. Okay, some of you are still going, oh, wait, wait, I need paper. Right. Yeah, 84, right? Uh, this is a sizable task force, task force, and Jesus says this is not enough. Okay, we need to pray for more. This is not enough, right? And we start to get a, a hint or a picture or a vision of the scope of what Jesus is about here, right? He is, is launching into something on a vast and huge scale. Uh, in fact, what I think Jesus envisions, what we know as the rest of Scripture unfolds, is he's envisioning a vast harvest that would encompass the whole globe, right? Every tongue and tribe and nation, every people group, every continent, every country. If you're in Th Thailand, every Jangwat, every Amper, every Dambon, every village, right? He wants people to go to every place there are people. That's his harvest field. So that's the scope of the mission that Jesus is envisioning, right? And so he needs an army of people. Uh, who, who are these 72? Uh, well, it's presumed, especially given in the context when we look at the passage right before this, Jesus has been talking about the cost of discipleship. Uh, we know that Jesus appointed these apostles, these sent ones, out of the group of disciples. Now, the question is, at this point in Jesus' ministry, was this all the disciples? Um, were there other disciples that got left out of this commission? Uh, given what's going on here and given the fact that Jesus is saying we need more, it is likely that this is the whole group of disciples, at least the men. Uh, apparently Jesus sent out the men uh, for whatever reasons we won't go into it at this point. But uh, it seems apparent that, that this, is, this is all the truly committed, diligent, determined, uh, dedicated disciples. Um, and, and that's the way it works. If, you are, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, uh, he is appointing you and he is sending you out to join him and participate with him on his mission. And he describes this mission in terms of a harvest. Uh, and that's a word we use a lot. I actually am part of a mission group called Ripe for Harvest. Uh, love it when you plagiarize the Bible. Uh, it's a word we're common, we, we use with great familiarity. Uh, do you know what it means? Right? What do we mean when we use the term harvest? More importantly, what did Jesus mean by the harvest? 
Well, it has to do something with people and souls, and and we assume it has to do something with bringing lost people into God's kingdom, to His salvation. However, if you if you look at the Old Testament use of the word harvest, uh, aside from its literal term meaning to gather grain, when you look how it's used figuratively in the Old Testament and also by John the Baptist, God's harvest deals far more with judgment than with salvation. Right? And, and the, the disciples would have understood this. When Jesus said, my harvest is, is ready, right? the images that would have come up in their head would have been more that of separating the chaff from the wheat. And it would, have, uh, it would have included salvation, but it also would have included judgment. Uh, perhaps the words of, of John the Baptist himself would have been ringing in their ears. John, John said this, The winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Right? So it's an important principle to understand that God's harvest... The, the scope of God's work is not just saving. It is also judging. It is also calling and sending some into eternal destruction. Right? Uh, we don't like to talk about that. We want to talk about God's love and it's happy thoughts. But the reality is that God's mission in, in the world is twofold. It is, it is bringing salvation, but it is also pouring out his wrath and his judgment on those who reject what he offers. So his harvest encompasses both. And as we'll see, uh, even in this passage, Jesus makes it very clear that both are part of the work of the laborers in the harvest fields. Um, So that gives something of the scope of the mission, the size of it. It's a big mission. It's a big project. It's global. It affects all the world in all places throughout all of history. And Jesus envisions raising up a vast army of workers who will go out into the field. And in the rest of the verses, uh, Jesus gives them some very clear, direct instructions about how they're to carry out this mission. And in doing so, he also really explains and and clarifies exactly what the mission is. There there are nine imperatives or command verbs that that Jesus uses in this section. I just want to go through. I'm not going to talk a lot about all of them. Some of them I'm just going to mention. But I want to look through at the nine commands or instructions that Jesus gives to these workers. Um, What we know is that as Jesus, you know, with the 12, it would be easy to say, well, that was just a project that Jesus did during his days and his ministry. When it expands to 72 and Jesus prays for more and more workers, it's clear that what he's talking about here is far beyond his own ministry. It's what he envisions the church doing throughout time and history, right? So these instructions are very much given not just to the 72, but would be very relevant for us uh, with some minor adjustments um, that we'll talk about in a minute. So let's look at these briefly, His real quick, just his nine bullet point commands that he gives to them as he sends them out. First one, he says pray, right? Pray, uh, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. First thing every disciple should be about is we should be praying for God to raise up more and more workers to go into his fields. Um, 
one of the incredible truths that, that un, gets unpacked here is that it's, it's God's field, it's God's harvest, and he's the boss, right? He's the Lord of the harvest. He is ultimately responsible for it getting carried out and accomplished. Right? So, so understand this clearly. Jesus is not saying to you or saying to me, Tim, you're responsible for the harvest. If it doesn't get brought in, it's all your fault. Right? Not true. He is Lord of the harvest. He is responsible for it. He is the one who will appoint and raise up and send out laborers into his field. But the other side of the equation is also true that while he's responsible, he's the boss, he's in charge, it's his fields, he invites and calls us to partner with him in his work. In fact, he makes it clear that it's a harvest that will not happen apart from our involvement and participation. He's ultimately responsible for it. He's the one who pays the wages. He's the one who pays the price for its execution. He calls and sends laborers. But we get to be a part of its unfolding, right? We are engaged as participants in his mission. Um, and we're to be, the first thing we're to do is just to pray that God would raise up more people as workers in the field, right? Um, we live in a place where all around us we see the fields, right? We, of all people, should be moved to be praying for God to send out workers. Every once in a while, I hear this phrase. In fact, I just heard it this last week. People say, uh, some, both Thai and, and foreigners say, well, we don't think, you know, they should be sending foreign missionaries to places like Thailand. Thailand doesn't need foreign missionaries, right? Ironically, that is often said by people who are missionaries in Thailand. It's like, well, why are you here then, right? Um, is that true? Like Jesus would say, no, that's not true. Pray for more workers, not less. Don't send them home. Pray that we, we get more. Okay, just to give you a picture of what this looks like, uh, one of the projects that uh, our church has, we are doing church planting in, in Isan, in a place called Gallison Province. In Gallison Province, there is one Christian for every 3,000 people. Right? One Christian for every 3,000 people. And the bulk of those Christians all live in the two main towns of the province. So, there, so get the picture. There are about a million people in the province. 99% of them live scattered out in 1,500 villages throughout the whole province. 99% of those villages have never, ever heard the gospel. And the reality is that the people who live in those villages will never have the opportunity to hear the gospel if nature is left to its course, right? Here, here's the math. If you took all the believers in Gallison Province and you send them out, out as Jesus did, two by two, and they each adopted a village that they were going to start ministering in, you would only cover 200 of the 1,500 villages, right? Do we need more workers? Yes, we need more workers. We need lots more workers. And the reality is throughout Thailand and Burma and uh, you know, throughout this whole region of Asia, the reality is there are countless people who will never have the opportunity to hear the gospel if more people do not go, right? So we should be praying earnestly, daily, that God would raise up more laborers. Secondly, Jesus says to them, go, go, right? 
It says in verse 3, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Uh, Jesus instructs, commands them to go. What does that mean? Well, it, it means a lot of things, but it, it, it means this. Jesus' mission strategy is not to uh, attract lost people to a program or a building or a really cool show. His plan is for Christians who have the message to go out into the places where lost people live and meet them. Right? We are to take the message to them, not wait for them to come to us. Um, it, it's, it's startling to me how many churches don't get this, right? Uh, especially in the West, where churches are spending millions and millions of dollars building elaborate facilities and putting out huge programs and paying tons of staff to draw people in, right? Uh, somebody was telling me they were in a church recently where the whole Sunday school pr- program looked like a Disneyland theme ride, right? They spent millions on setting up this education center. Okay, now are they doing that because Christian families need their own Christian children to be entertained in Sunday school? No. They're doing that because they want to be cool to the world, right? And they want people to show up at church and go, well, this is just like Disneyland. I should come here. That is not Jesus' strategy for reaching the lost. He said, go. Go out to where they live. Engage them. Find them. Show up where they are, right? Uh, We don't draw people to us. We go to them. And he says you go out as lambs among wolves, right? Okay, you don't go because it's comfortable. You don't, be, you don't go because they're inviting you. <laughs> they're inviting you to eat you, right? That's kind of the picture here. It says, no, you go out against great opposition to people who are pretty hostile to you. They're not overly welcoming, and they're not desperately interested in what you have to offer. But you go to them anyway. You take the gospel out where they are, and you encounter them, and you meet them. Uh, third thing. Uh, this one gets a little harder, so let me read the verse, and then I'll tell you what I think the principle is. It says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Okay, that last one for some of you would be really hard, right? You know, the social butterflies, it's like, you know, you just, no, don't talk to people, right? Just keep eyes focused on the road. Well, what's that all about? Um, interestingly enough, Jesus actually reverses some of this towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, and he says, no... Take money, take a bag, take a purse. But the, the principle here I think he's shooting at is, is still true, and it's this. The principle is don't worry about your needs. Don't get distracted. You need to just focus on the mission. Right? Your job, your calling, your focus should be purely the mission of going with the, the message I give you. Right? You don't need to be overly worried and concerned about your daily needs and don't get distracted, you know, by people along the way. Right? Of course, you could say, well, yeah, but I'm evangelizing them. Well, that's good, right? That's the mission. But don't let, don't let people, don't let things distract you from the mission. Stay focused. Stay very intentional and deliberate as you go on your way. And don't let things like money and, and the worries of daily life distract you. I'm gonna, uh, God's going to take care of you. Just trust him. Uh, next thing also a very difficult one. And let me try to spend a little bit longer unpacking this one. Verse 5, 
Whatever house you enter, first thing you do is say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. All right, so this is the picture. He says, here, this is how it works. Okay, you're not talking to people on the road. You're not worried about money. You're, you're, you're on a, an urgent mission. You get to a place, and wherever you end up, doesn't matter. He says, wherever you go, whatever house you end up in, with whatever conversation, whatever uh, connection you make as you go out and encounter lost people, this is what you say to them. Uh, literally, he would say, shalom to your house. Shalom to your house. Anybody tried this method of evangelism? Hey, shalom. Well, it may not work the same here, and here's why. Because the word shalom had a very unique and direct and specific meaning to Jews and to Samaritans that it doesn't have to tie people. Right? They'll just think you're crazy. Right? Shalom meant something, and it, uh, we don't have time to unpack all that it meant. But it's a word packed with meaning. And uh, essentially it meant this. It was, it was the, the well-being that comes from God. And for the Jews, it had been their long-awaited hope. Okay? When you talk to a Jew about shalom, it summarized all of their dreams and all of their wishes about what life could be. Right? For them, it, it was one word that expressed the dream of what it meant to be a Jew. And it had the idea of the fulfillment or completion of a perfect life. In our language, we, we, would say, we might say that it came to mean the wholeness or completeness of life as it was meant to be. Right? And for the Jews, that all got summed up in this word shalom. Right? It was, um, uh, another way to put it, it was, um, it was a sense of bringing the wholeness which comes from God alone and which is intimately bound up with his presence. Okay, let me say that again. It is the wholeness that comes from God alone, and which is intimately bound up with his presence. Um, it's, it's all that you could ever want life to be, right, uh, with and in God's presence. And what Shalom meant to the Jews, the Jews and Samaritans all knew that this was only possible, only available from God. You could not get it from anywhere else. You couldn't, you couldn't get it through wealth. You couldn't get it through pleasure. You couldn't get it through hard work or success. That it was a gift of God. Right? But every Jew wanted this. All that you could imagine life could be. Right? Joyful, happy, full, content, complete. Okay? And all that was expressed in this word, shalom. So what he's saying here is you go to the house and you say, Shalom to your house. In other words, I am coming offering you in God the shalom, the life you have always dreamed of that can only be found in God alone. And here's what will happen. If they are a person of peace, if they're a person who embraces that life and who longs for a life that's full in God alone, your peace will stay with them. But... If they are thinking, you know, I don't really think that's true. God may be good, but I think, I think there's another path to a full and happy life. And it rests outside of relationship with God. I'm going to go there. Well, then your peace comes back to you. right? So in other words, the person who says, no, God's good, but I want God and wealth. 
If I can't have wealth, my life is not going to be full and complete and happy. So if the choice is between God and money, I'm going to pursue money. Well, what does all this mean for us? Well, I think it means this. We uh, we need to contextualize this a bit, but we need to proclaim a message that says God alone can give you the life you dream of. And every culture, every context envisions the perfect life in in different ways. But what we're saying is, look, God, and through relationship with him, is the path to have everything you ever dreamed life could be. For you, what does that mean? For you, what is the dream of a perfect life? Now, oftentimes, if we talk to people in the West and you say, and you just say to them, what's the dream of a perfect life for you? They might say, well, I want to be rich. Okay. Well, it's, it might be true at some level, but it's a superficial answer, answer because riches don't actually accomplish anything for you. So I would follow up with a question like this. I would say, okay, well, that's good. What is it you hope riches will do for you? Right? What is it you hope riches will accomplish in your life? And they may say things like, uh, you know, I will have a life that's free from worry. Uh, I will be secure and I will have a feeling that my life is okay. Uh, I will have a degree of comfort and and the ability to enjoy my life if I had wealth. Well, what we would say to them is, those are great things. That is dreaming of a perfect life. Comfort, security, provision. A sense that everything is okay. That's the well-being of shalom. But here's the truth. All the things that you think will give you that are a lie. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to give you that in himself. Would you receive the perfect life God has for you through him alone and turn away from all that stuff and seek the fulfillment of your life in him alone? And to the person who says, yes, I want that. To them, the peace of God will rest. To those who say, I don't think that's true. I think I would rather do it my own way. Uh, the peace of God does not stick to them. Right? Uh, so that's what he's saying. Uh, that, that's what that phrase means. right? Um, and uh, it, it's, it, so, so here we're getting closer to what the mission is, right? in light of shalom, in light of this concept, what is the mission of God? What is it that God came to the world to do and to give to you and to I and to lost people? Well, he came to give them shalom. God's mission, I believe, in the world is to bring the dream life to you and I. Uh, now, of course, you can take this all kinds of wrong ways and go, well, yeah, the, the Mercedes, yay, the million-dollar house, I can't wait to get it. Okay. That's not shalom. You're not getting the message, right? Because shalom is through God alone, not through the house, not through a fancy car, not through success. It means that you learn to be happy and fulfilled and content with nothing but God alone, right? And then you can enjoy some of this other stuff as God may or may not give it to you, right? That is the message we offer. Now here, uh, let, me, uh, let me say this. Uh, what, what are we offering to lost people? Right? When you share the gospel, when you proclaim God's message to people, 
what exactly is it you're offering to them? I think that oftentimes um, we understand the gospel rightly, that the gospel is about Jesus' death for our sin and his resurrection and the forgiveness and cleansing that comes through his death, right? And uh, we think that is the gospel, and it's true, okay? I'm not, please don't go home and say, Tim said that's not the gospel, okay? That's the gospel. However, that's not the whole story, right? Those things are true. Uh, but the question is, again, is that the end, or is that simply a means to a greater end? Uh, is God's mission in the world simply to do some house cleaning? Is God's vision that the problem with the world is that it's, it's sinful and it's dirty, and so Jesus sent his son to, to, to sterilize and clean uh, it, and that once it's clean, God will be happy? Well, oftentimes I think that's what we reduce the gospel to. And it's just not true. It's not the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Right? Jesus does not say here, go to them and say, you're a sinner and you better repent and get your sin taken care of. It's not what Jesus says here. right? He says, say to them, shalom on your house. Right? Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, imagine you want to start a business. You know, you're tired of being a poor missionary, and you found the most incredible spot in all of Thailand, and nobody knows about it. And this is this place is so beautiful and so exceptional and so incredible that you just know, if you build the right kind of resort there, it could be like a fantasy island. You know, it could be like the ultimate dream vacation. And you just see, you know, you're going to get rich, um, and you're going to be start supporting all those poor missionaries, right? So you buy this this island, this most beautiful place anybody's ever seen ever. And you buy it and you develop it and it really becomes this place where people can have just the ultimate, most cool vacation ever. Like no experience they've ever had before. Right? You develop it, you build it, you staff it, best food, best accommodations, best everything. Right? But it's a very remote, hidden island and so you, you buy your own boat to transport people from the mainland out to this vacation paradise, right? Uh, and you hire staff and you hire salespeople to go out and sell vacations to your dream paradise island. But after a while goes by, you have hardly any customers. Nobody's coming. And you go, I, I just don't get it. This is like, this is the most incredible place ever. Why are people not coming here? So you decide to follow around some of your salespeople, right? And you go with them and you hear how they give their sales pitch. And, and, um, and it goes something like this. Uh, all they talk about is the boat, right? They say, why are you swimming? Don't you know you can't get there by swimming? You need to get on the boat. The boat is the only way. The boat is your answer. You need the boat, right? If you don't get on the boat, you're going to drown, right? And people just look at them confused going, I don't want to get on the boat. <laughs> you're scaring me with the boat, right? And you go, hey, guys, look, you're not telling them where the boat is going, Right? You forgot to tell them about the destination. Well, I think oftentimes that's what our gospel message is. We're all about the boat, the cross. It's super important. You can't get there if you don't get on the boat. But we forgot to tell them about the destination. We forgot to tell them where it's going. Right? Jesus says, start there. <laughs> start with the, the destination. Start with what I am offering in Christ. And then tell them how to get there. The only way is get on the boat, right? 
um, what is the message we are proclaiming to people? Uh, moving on. A couple more of these to go through real quick. Uh, next principle. Uh, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Basically, these two commands, there's two of them, I'll put them together, live and eat with people. This is not hard. He says, eat their food, right? Bugs, snakes, ant eggs, it's all good, right? Khao soy, peppery, hot, blazing, fiery food that lights your head on fire. Just eat it, right? He's saying, look, build relationships with people. Right? Go to their houses. Engage in relationships. Live with them, right? Um, be their friends. Uh, the mission is largely building relationships, showing up where they live and coming alongside them. There's there's tons of good tools, and I know many of you are involved in ministries developing evangelistic tools and developing media to communicate the gospel. Great stuff, right? Great stuff. But don't ever think that the media is a substitute for relationships, right? The tools only mean something if they're in a real person's hand. And I know those of you who develop those know that, right? Um, It takes relationship. That's what he's saying. Go, build relationship. Uh, Then he says this. He says, heal the sick. Um, uh, I'm not going to say a lot about that, just simply this, that it really is part of shalom. It is part of bringing the wholeness which comes from God alone and which is intimately bound up with his presence. Right? It's bringing the restoring work of Jesus to bear on the life of those who receive him. Right? The gospel brings healing, not just salvation from sin, but it brings healing to every part of our life. And it's a lifelong process, but God brings healing So we bring healing as we proclaim the gospel. Next, he says, proclaim that the kingdom of God is right in front of them. Right? He says, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Okay, again, this is this is the mission. Okay, it's really the message, but it it captures what the mission is. We we proclaim what the gospel. But what is the gospel about? Well, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Right. What is God's kingdom? Well, God's kingdom is that shalom. It is, it is the life that God wants to bring to restore us to his created design and purpose for our life. Right? It is his rule in our life, absolutely. It is him as Lord and King, as the glorious uh, ruler of all. Uh, but it's, it's a blessed kingdom. Right? It is a glorious destination that God wants to bring to us. And we're to announce that kingdom is right there. In other words, all you have to do is take a step and enter it, and it's yours. Right? It is yours. And it's unfolding and ever-growing um, development as, as God's salvation history works its way out. is yours if you will just step into it. Right? Uh, so we are offering to them the kingdom, uh, God's, uh, God's glorious presence and kingdom on earth. That's the mission. Okay, the mission of God is to bring his kingdom to the world. Um, then lastly, he says this. He says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. But know this, 
the kingdom of God has come near. And then he goes off on this rant on many of the cities and towns where Jesus had ministered, and they had not received his message. In fact, he ends with Capernaum. He says, Capernaum, should you be honored? Why would Capernaum be honored? Well, it was Jesus' own home base, right? And here, you've got to understand this. Jesus says, Capernaum, the place where I spent the most of my time, the base of my ministry, did not receive my message. What do you think will happen to Capernaum? It will fall into judgment. It will go down to hell. Uh, I never really knew this until I was in Israel a few years ago, and our Jewish tour guide told me this as we're going through Capernaum. And she said, you know why Capernaum is no longer a city anymore? I says, no. Like, I should know this. I'm a pastor. But she goes, well, Jesus cursed it, right? It's like, really? I didn't know. Uh, But he did, right? Because they did not receive his message. Uh, We are to warn those, okay? The kingdom is there, but if you do not take it, if you don't step into it, it will pass by you. And the result is judgment, judgment, right? We are to warn them of what happens if they do not receive his kingdom. And finally, the passage ends with this. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Um, We, uh, and this isn't a command, this is just an observation that Jesus makes. But Jesus says, look, when you show up as my representatives, just the very fact that you do these things, you you eat with non-believers, you build relationships with them, you live your life in front of them, You force in their life a decision because either they will receive and listen to your words and they will be interested in your life and why you're the way you are and they'll be drawn to it or they will reject it and they will want nothing to do with what you proclaim. Both of those are valid parts of our job and our ministry. Right? Just us showing up, we force them to make a choice and a decision if they will receive us and our message or not. And when they receive or reject us, it seals their eternal destiny. Now, thankfully, God is a patient God, and it doesn't mean that they reject us once, that there's not hope. Uh, they may reject us many times before they really come to understand. But you and I, by our presence among non-believers, force them to make a choice that sets their eternal destiny in place, right? But it's their choice, not ours, right? They choose for themselves where they will go. Um, So the mission of God is to show that life is more than we ever dreamed. It could be in him alone, or it's death and destruction in anything else, right? Life is more than we could ever dream. It could be in him alone, or it is death and destruction in anything else. Uh, what does this look like in real life? Let me apply it uh, quickly with just a couple thoughts. Uh, first, be super clear about the message, right? Um, we force people just by our presence, just by our presence, okay? 
we don't even we should say words, but we don't have to say words. If if we're here and they know we're Christians, and by the way they know, okay. For most of you, they can tell just by the way you dress. Okay, a couple of you are a little sketchy, but most of you, they look at you and they go, okay, they're Christians. You know, they're not backpackers. They're not tourists. They're those missionaries. They're those Christians, right? Okay, just you being here, you don't have to speak Thai. They know who you are, right? And it makes them make a choice. What are they going to do with you? Are they going to push you away? Or are they going to uh, inquire into what you are about? Right? Um, but here's the deal. We've got to be careful that when it comes to speaking the message, which we need to speak, by the way, we do need to speak the message, that we're communicating the right message. Right? Are we only teaching a gospel that's about the boat and not about the destination? Right? Be careful. If they're rejecting the boat because they don't get where it's going, we're not doing them any favors. Make sure we put before them an image and a picture of what God is inviting them to. And then explain to them how they get there through the cross. Right? So be careful we are clear about the mission and the message. Secondly, follow directions. Right? Follow directions. Jesus made it pretty clear how this works. He says, I call you, you go. You go to where lost people are. Don't wait for them to show up in church on Sunday morning. Go where they are. How do you do that? I don't know. Teach English. Start a soccer camp. Hire an unchristian may bond. Uh, take your neighbor cookies. I don't know. If you don't know Thai, don't worry about it. You know, like I said, you show up, they know you're weird. Okay? They, they know something's different about you. Right? Um, show up. Go. Right? Build relationship where you can. Uh, Ask them to help you learn your Thai. Teach them English. Build relationship. Um, pray, right? Um, as you're able, as you have the words, share the message. As you think through that list, what are the things that you do well, that you do really well? Maybe you're great at building relationship. Uh, maybe you're good at praying. Maybe you're good at proclaiming the message, right? Uh, keep doing those things. What do, on that list of all those things, what do you not do well? For me, honestly, the thing I don't do well is, is, believe it or not, is speak the message. Okay? It's one of the weird things in my life. I can communicate and say way too much to a group of people like this who wish I would just shut up. Right? But one-on-one, I have no clue what to say. I just sit there silently. Right? Uh, identify the things you don't do well and ask God to help you do it better. Right? Ask God to open up opportunities and to show you how... Uh, how he would have you with your personality and your gifts uh, bolster those weak spots. Um, lastly, be careful how you measure success. Are you, do you view success only by the people who come to Christ through your life and witness? If you do, you misunderstand the point here. Because remember, the harvest is not just those who come to salvation. The harvest is everybody, right? And your role, your mission is to put before people a choice, right? Whichever way they choose, you did your job, right? Um, if, if you have proclaimed Christ to 50 people and 49 of them rejected it, did you fail? If 50 rejected it, did you fail? No, right? You did exactly what Jesus called you to do, and you are being successful, 
And, you know, I, I just can't see how this would go in a newsletter. You know, hey, I got to see 50 people reject Christ this month. Praise God. You know, I, I get that you can't write that home. Okay, I get that. I understand why, you know. Uh, but don't feel like because you've been proclaiming Christ, you've been doing this, and you feel like I'm just not seeing any fruit. I'm not seeing people come to Christ. Don't feel like you are failing. Right? Because that's not the measure the measure is, am I putting that choice before people? Right? Uh, am I putting that choice before people? It's up to God and them how they respond. And praise God in his grace, uh, he keeps asking. That king, the kingdom is always right there, and until the day they die, there's the hope that they will enter in. So we keep putting that choice before them, praying that they will respond. But if they don't, you have done your job, and you are being successful in the mission that God has called you to. Remember Capernaum, okay? The place where Jesus lived and did most of his work, most of the people in Capernaum did not turn to Christ. Was Jesus a failure? <laughs> well, you tell it to his face. I'm not. <laughs> right? Uh, right? That's not our job. So don't be discouraged because people don't respond the way you think they should. Our job and the measure is, am I putting the, the decision, the choice before people? Is my life presenting the kingdom and shalom in a way that compels them to make a choice? Right? Do you get that yourself? Right. Uh, one of the reasons maybe we're not good at this is because we don't understand what the kingdom of God is that he's offering us. Right? We don't get the shalom that God wants for our life. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.